Welcome to What's It Worth, a business podcast about what your business is worth, how to sell a company, and how to buy a business. I'm Jamar Cobb-Denard. Thank you for listening to What's It Worth. Hello there, this is Jamar Cobb-Denard, and this program is called Buy by Bias, The Ethics of Creating a Bias-Free Workplace. A little bit about your presenter today. Uh, I have been a leadership consultant for 17 years and continuing education presenter for public accounting firms across the United States, the Indiana, Michigan, and Illinois CPA Societies, the National Association of Black Accountants, CPA Academy, and Corsa, and uh, many others. I'm a business broker uh, professionally and full-time, and I'm also a licensed attorney. I was recognized as an Indianapolis Business Journal 40 Under 40 honoree as well. Our agenda today is pretty simple. We'll talk about some housekeeping items in terms of rules of engagement and outcomes, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes. What is implicit bias? What are microaggressions? What are uh, and what is emotional intelligence? And what's an equity value system? Or how do I implement DEA and I uh, programs within my organization? Finally, we'll do a quick content and outcome review to end today's program. Please make sure that you complete the uh, quizzes and test for this program in order to receive credit. Also, uh, feel free to complete your survey. I do take a look at all of those surveys to make sure that our program presents and delivers what you're looking for, as well as making sure that um, we take any feedback and improve the course over time. Uh, please prepare for video presentations. There will be two or three of those. And uh, as I already mentioned, please complete the program assessments. Our program outcomes today are threefold. Number one, know how to uncover and recognize bias that impacts leadership style, team, and culture. Second, be able to leverage emotional skills in order to manage diverse workspaces and clients and uh, employees. And third, and finally, create a strategy to improve organizational equity and become an expert level ally. Let's dig into our first topic today, which is what is implicit bias? During this section, we'll define implicit bias and also uh, give you a strategy. We'll talk about how to identify implicit bias and also how to address implicit bias. So first, implicit bias is uh, and are attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions, and decisions in an unconscious manner. So as we think about this definition, first, uh, attitudes or stereotypes, those are states of mind, uh, what we think or how we think. Stereotypes uh, in particular are essentially how uh, or come from or how we come to different people, situations, environments, etc. So these attitudes and stereotypes essentially take what we already think or our prior experiences with certain people, places, or things, um, and those experiences or those thoughts affect our understanding. They affect our actions, and they affect our decisions. Now, usually, uh, these decisions, and specifically with implicit bias, um, the understanding, actions, and decisions are impacted in an unconscious manner, or we can say they impact our subconscious. So uh, we are not 
necessarily making these decisions and actions and understanding uh, certain people, places, and things intentionally. But uh, implicit bias really involves what we don't know that we're thinking or what we come to an environment with uh, without really thinking about it. So again, the definition, uh, after we broke it down, attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions, and decisions in an unconscious manner. Let's do a little bit more exploring on what implicit bias is and how it works. Our brain is hardwired to trust what's familiar and be suspicious of what's unfamiliar. It's a basic survival instinct that's helped keep us safe for thousands of years. We unconsciously sort things into familiar versus unfamiliar, same versus different, them versus us. Here's a test. How do you feel about people who own a handgun? Don't attend church. Vote for the other candidate. Are on welfare. Don't eat meat. Have tattoos. Don't believe in marriage. Drive an electric car. Didn't go to college. Don't speak English. Curse. Are over six. Are disabled. Drive the speed limit. Love cats. Love dogs. Can you feel your brain sorting people into groups? Was there a little them versus us happening? It can happen unconsciously. So the unconscious bias video recap, uh, there are two things to really take out of this. Number one, we're going to trust and sort what's familiar and naturally be suspicious of what's unfamiliar. Um, that's a, a natural part of uh, actually understanding and sorting and reconciling what's out there in the world. It's natural. Uh, it's part of how we've grown up, and it's part of how we've learned to understand what's happening within our environments. But it's when uh, those assumptions create bias against others that it becomes a problem. Um, the second piece is how do you feel about specific differences? Sorting different categories into good versus bad, them versus us, for example. Um, our family has always had cats. Um, and then I had a dog and I fell in love with dogs and the idea of having dogs. Well, um, <laughs> my mom still doesn't like dogs. So uh, for her, dogs are bad. For me, dogs are good. So when she came over and I had a dog, she had um, a bad implicit bias toward that dog because she didn't necessarily categorize dogs in the good section. Now, there's nothing wrong with dogs. Uh, they could be good or bad, but that depends on the bias that that person is coming to the environment with. So number one in the video, we're going to trust and sort what's familiar and be suspicious of what's unfamiliar. That comes from our training, even down to us being infants. And we're also going to understand and think of and experience how we feel about specific differences and then categorize them or put them into buckets, good versus bad, them versus us, et cetera. There's an assessment that uh, you can take that helps you identify what your implicit bias is. And that assessment is at clocktomizer.com slash clocktomizer hyphen implicit hyphen bias hyphen test. You can see that there on your uh, PowerPoint video. Also, that uh, bias test is located in your handout. 
but it asks you a series of questions and they're kind of fun to watch um, and take. And you can see an example here. Which of the following famous working faces do you find most inspiring? Is it Claire Underwood from House of Cards? Is it Elle Woods from Legally Blonde? Or is it varies from Game of Thrones? And then after you ask answer these questions, uh, the Clocktomizer test will tell you what range of bias you may have and towards whom you may have bias to. So take a few minutes, pause the program, take the Clocktomizer test, and see where you stand on bias. So after you take the test, you can notice what your preference is in terms of um, gender. You can also uh, analyze what your reaction was to that. Did you feel good? Did you feel bad? Was Were the test results wrong? Were they right? Were they surprising? Were they what you expected? Um, another test, which is very good, uh, it takes too long for us to do it during this program. But again, if you want to dig into this or use it as a resource in your workplace or any other groups that you're working with, take the Harvard Project Implicit Bias Assessment. They've got 10 or 12 different uh, bias assessments for race, gender, disability, and ability, um, uh, religion, et cetera. And as you take this test, it is not one of those quizzes or tests that you can trick or fool. Um, they actually are using some uh, opposite indicators, and they ask questions in multiple ways so that in the end, they're going to tell you your range of bias based on the subject of the test. And it is very accurate. Millions of people have taken this test and it is probably uh, the most well-recognized implicit bias assessment that's out there on the market. So um, take some time, take the Harvard Project Implicit Bias Assessment, and I think you'll really enjoy that experience and enjoy taking that assessment. So how to identify implicit bias? Number one, question your assumptions. So for example, uh, back to the dog example, my mother probably thinks that dogs are slobbery and they smell and they're dirty because dogs slobber and sometimes they smell like dogs and they don't know how to clean their feet. So um, <laughs> sometimes they track dirt in the house, right? But those are assumptions. And so when we begin to analyze our thoughts and think, what assumptions am I making about this person or place or thing? That's how you begin to identify your implicit biases. Second, challenge the sources of where information is coming from. So personally, I like to listen to multiple newscasts because uh, each source of news will tell the story a different way. Fox News tells a story a different way from MSNBC, which tells it different from CNN, which tells it different from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and et cetera, right? So um, as you read and as you listen to information, whether that's coming from people, whether that's coming from other news sources uh, or other sources of information like social media, challenge them. Who is telling the information? what biases may the communicator have uh, when they're telling the information? And also, what do you think about the source and the information that's coming from that source? So to identify implicit bias, question your assumptions, challenge your sources. Third, get all of the information. So don't stop just with the information that you have in front of you, but do some research. What are the sources that the person who, or the resource that you got the information from, 
got their information from. So going from a secondary source to a primary source and actually finding out, hey, here's where this information actually came from. Now, what do I think? Now, what biases may come up instead of looking at it through the filter of someone else's biases? So question assumptions, challenge sources, get all the information, and finally be humble. The person with bias could be you. And that's okay because you're going through this course and identifying how to identify bias and then what to do about it. So um, be humble and know that you have biases. Everybody does as part of that sorting, as part of the buckets. Uh, So take some time and really think through how you may be showing up with the information, assumptions, and sources that you are getting, receiving, and making your decisions from. Here's some ways of how to address implicit bias. Number one is be introspective. Think about what you're thinking about. Be mindful as well. So before you make decisions, before you communicate, be mindful about what you're saying, how you're saying it, and what biases may be influencing what and how you're saying. Take some perspective. So that means take the perspective of the other person, some empathy. Put yourself in their shoes to understand why they may behave or make decisions like they do. Learn to slow. That means slow down your thinking, slow down your communication. Think before you speak. Remember that one from mom and grandma? (laughs) Think before you speak. That's basically learn to slow. Individuation. Essentially, what individuation is, is taking a individual and learning them and not making assumptions based on a group. So um, you can take uh, one individual dog, the example that we've been using uh, throughout our program so far, and say, this dog is clean, this dog doesn't slobber, and this dog doesn't smell. Well, that individual dog, you've got a experience with that dog. Or you can think all dogs smell, all dogs slobber, all dogs are dirty, right? So um, the second example is not individuation. The first example is, is taking that person, place, or thing, and analyzing it as an individual versus categorizing. Check your messaging, how you're saying what you're saying, and thinking through to make sure that um, what you're saying is inclusive and also isn't unknowingly offensive, which is tough to do because it's unknowing, right? But um, the empathy piece of uh, addressing implicit bias will help you with good messaging. Institutionalization. So one way to address implicit bias is to think of how your institution, your companies, your organizations um, may be excluding certain people because of messaging, because of attitudes, because of implicit bias within the organizations. Uh, So think, Uh, who isn't here in this room or who aren't members of our company or who aren't members of our organization, and then why? What type of implicit bias may be preventing those people from contributing to our organizations? Be fair, and then finally, take two. That means take an extra moment to think about all of these manners of addressing implicit bias. So be introspective, be mindful, Get into the other person's shoes and have perspective. Learn to slow. Think before you speak. Think of the individual versus people or places or things and categories. Check how you're saying and delivering your messages. Also, reflect on your institution to ensure that your institution isn't uh, excluding people 
and it's not uh, allowing implicit bias or institutional bias to affect decision-making for your organizations. Be fair in how you're making your decisions. And finally, take two. And take two is uh, thinking about what you're thinking about and taking a moment to think about it again. So that's implicit bias. Let's talk about microaggressions. This section will cover what are microaggressions, what the type of microaggressions are. Uh, we'll review microaggressions in reverse, which this many times helps people understand how microaggressions work. Then finally, how emotional intelligence influences microaggressions. So for a definition, microaggressions are the everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether they're intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages to target persons based solely upon their marginalized group membership. And that definition is from the UCLA Diversity and Faculty Development Program um, and writing called Diversity in the Classroom. Now, as we compare this to implicit bias, microaggressions are essentially uh, the result of implicit bias. So when there are implicit biases and they are acted out or carried out, those implicit biases become microaggressions. So again, going back to our definition, um, these microaggressions can be verbal, nonverbal, and environmental. So it can be something that you say, um, and we'll go through some of those sayings in a few slides here, that can be nonverbal. And an example you'll see in the next video is maybe you're walking across the street, you see somebody that looks like what a criminal would look like to you. So you hold your purse a little bit closer or you cross the street to avoid them. Environmental slights could be um, uh, when you're in a certain place, there are only pictures of uh, folks who are 55 and older. So that could potentially communicate to somebody who's younger than 55 that um, folks who are middle-aged or younger aren't welcome in that environment. So uh, that covers the verbal, nonverbal, and environmental. Um, and these can be slights, snubs, or insults. So they may not be something that's intentional. Um, it could be just excluding other people as a snub, or it can be a straight-up insult um, that may be intentional or unintentional. So it doesn't matter if you didn't mean to do it. The fact is, is that we've got to be uh, more mindful, just like with implicit bias, uh, so that we don't unintentionally uh, slight, snub, or insult someone that's around us. Now, these slights, snubs, and insults, what they do is they communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages. Um, so Sometimes these jokes can be taken with hostility or jokes can become derogatory or jokes can uh, send negative messages to other folks, even though they may be unintentional. Um, finally, uh, these verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, and insults um, are to or towards target persons based solely on their marginalized group membership. So let's think of somebody with a different ability, um, that slight snub or insult will be based around and target uh, that person's ability. And uh, as we think about microaggressions, it's an entire package, right? It's how you're communicating. It's what you're communicating. 
and it's uh, who you're the result of that communication and who you're communicating to. Let's take a closer look at how microaggressions can show up and what a microaggression is. And you can see this explained with movies. Ew, get off of me. Sophie, go to little girl's room for a minute. Okay. <laughs> so excited. There's going to be some things that you're going to be able to get that other people in the office don't get. One of them, gym membership. Hey, you want me to lose weight? <laughs> I don't want you to. You want to have some ice cream with my friend of me? Get lost, Griswold. Microaggressions are along a continuum from being very deliberate and conscious to being outside one's conscious behavior. We identified three types of microaggressions. Microassaults, which are very similar to old-fashioned racism. Your kind don't understand English. My kind? The other types of microaggressions are more insidious, hidden, subtle, and the second type is a micro-insult. A couple of color comes into a restaurant to be seated, they're seated in a more undesirable place than a white couple who might be coming in. Did you see any white people in there waiting an hour and 32 minutes for a plate of spaghetti? Huh? Now how many cups of coffee did we get? You don't drink coffee and I didn't want any. Man, that woman in there poured cup after cup to every single white person around us. But did she even ask you if you wanted any? A micro-invalidation assailed their racial identity and, and self-esteem. Let's say African-Americans, they are dangerous and criminal. You see that? Man, she's cold. She got colder as soon as she saw us, though. Oh, man, come on, don't, don't stop. Man, look around you, man. You couldn't find a whiter, safer, or better lit part of this city right now. There can be racial microaggressions, sexual orientation microaggressions, disability microaggressions, and gender microaggressions. <laughs> Cat calls, staring at a woman's breasts or legs. It's a microaggression because it, it fulfills the theme of what we call sexual objectification. I love the fact that you're a grandma. Oh God! You are, you're a hot oh grandma! God. Oh my God! Environmental microaggressions are a hostile and invalidating climate. If you choose to stay, you will be uncomfortable. Yo, Mook! Mook! What? Come here, no brothers up on the wall. Man, ask Sal, right? Hey, hey, Sal, how come we got the brothers up on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You're going to do what you want to do. You're in trouble? Yeah, I'm in trouble. I'm making trouble. You're balling. He's coming in here looking for trouble. Suppose I bust the jet. Microaggressions are cumulative, and any one may represent the feather that breaks the camel's back. Get out of the bush. You said you were going to get Jose to do it. He here got it anyway. Why are you going to pin him? Lucy, you know I don't speak Mexican. I'm not a Mexican. 
how unpopular Vietnam was. I'm not Vietnamese, I'm American. What do you think I'm gay, huh? Aren't you? What's the matter with you? Do I look gay to you? Do I look gay to you? You're a good-looking man. Thank you. Very pretty. Real soft, delicate features. They're real feminine, you know, which is good for me because that would be a... So what's the definition of a microaggression and a quick recap of the video is microaggressions can be deliberate or unconscious. And that includes three types of microaggressions, microassaults that look and sound like old fashioned racism. And here's a key um, that many people miss is they say, well, I don't, uh, I'm not biased and I don't give off or send um, microaggressions because uh, what they're doing or saying isn't linked or doesn't sound like old-fashioned racism. But there are a couple of other categories that we need to watch out. These include micro-insults, and these are insidious or uh, hidden, and then micro-invalidations that assail someone's racial identity and self-esteem. Um, and micro-invalidations typically are more unconscious, um, whereas deliberate um, microaggressions are closer to microassaults. There are a few types of microaggressions, and this list is not all-inclusive, but there are racial mi microaggressions, sex orientation microaggressions, disability, gender, and also environmental microaggressions. Another example of this, um, my law school, and this has actually changed since um, I initially started doing this program, my law school used to have only pictures uh, well, I can't say only. There was a section of our law school toward the bathrooms where they had um, historic pictures of uh, graduates from the early 1900s. Well, in the early 1900s, women and African-Americans um, for a long time could not be attorneys, could not be attorneys. So as a result, everybody in the pictures were older white men. Now, since then, our law school has done a really great job of adding additional artwork that was either by African-American um, or other diverse artists and uh, folks who are in the scenes in the artwork or photos are more diverse as well. Yours truly is also on the walls of the uh, law school and a photograph of uh, myself as an African-American a uh, Chinese woman, an African-American woman, and a white man. So um, even those environmental microaggressions can happen unintentionally. Uh, but the great thing about the school is that they are intentionally creating an environment that is inclusive. So here are more types and of microaggressions and how they show up. I'm not going to read all of these. The um, this is in your, your handout, but I will touch on a couple of them that are particularly tough to identify unless you know them and hear about them. So one is denial of individuality, and uh, this could come from somebody saying, hey, I was followed in that store and I felt really uncomfortable as a potential customer because I felt like a criminal even though I was just there to buy. So the microaggression in response to that statement could be, are you sure you're being followed in the store? 
Well, I don't know, but the reality is, is the person who felt that they were followed felt that they were followed. So it denies the personal experience of bias, which is a micro aggression. Um, there's another one that I like, and it's colorblindness. And it's people saying, well, I don't see color, or I don't see gender, or I don't see sex orientation. Um, and what this communicates to diverse communities is that they need to assimilate with the majority and deny their racial or culture, cultural or gender being, or what makes them different and what makes them special. So instead of not seeing color, the non-microaggression is, I see the individuality and I see the greatness in women or people of color or people with um, different abilities. Um, another one that I think is interesting is <clears throat> treating people as second-class citizens, and this is treating them um, differently than anybody else just because they may have uh, one part of them that is different. So, for example, speaking slower and louder to a blind coworker, well, person's blind, so they can hear. <laughs> um, so speaking slower and louder doesn't necessarily help a blind coworker um, communicate with you any better. And what that translates to is that they're a lesser person in all aspects because they've got one uh, differing ability than others. So um, these are just a couple of examples of how microaggressions can show up. Um, but one of the ways that we can highlight this even more is to um, show microaggressions in reverse. So what would happen if there are microaggressions from uh, minority races to uh, the American majority races? Let's take a look. So you're not good at golf, but you're white. People of color have to deal with racial microaggressions every single day. So microaggressions are those little unintentional insults that basically see people of color as stereotypes, which got me thinking, what if white people had to deal with racial microaggressions? So like, where are you from? No, no, like, where are you really from? Why do you have an accent? Like a, like a Swedish accent. You know, your English is really, really good. It's like, I can't even tell you have an accent or anything. I don't have an accent. No, that's what I'm saying. You don't speak Gaelic? You don't speak German? Can you say a curse word in European? You know, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> hey, Connor, um, you know about NASCAR stuff, right? Um, can you take a look at this? Can you teach me how to line dance? Play the banjo? Act entitled in the supermarket. I love white food. No real flavor to it. Never an upset tummy. You're so exotic. How do you get your hair like that? I love how it's so limp. Ew, why does it feel like that? Oh my god, so it just does that? No, you are really pretty for a white girl. Your eyes are so round, like this. You know who you look like? Kenny Chesney. Zach Braff. Emma Stone. Rachel Maddow. My friend Chad. Maybe you know him, because he's white too. No, Emma Watson. Not Macklemore, what's the, what's the other guy? No, is it Emma Thompson? It's C-H-A-D. Like Chad. One of the Emmas. You look like an Emma. You know who you look like? I bet you hear this all the time. Jeffrey Dahmer. How does it feel to be the token white guy in the office? Hey, Connor, can we get a white perspective on this? I love everything about white culture. You guys are like so fun. What do you mean you don't listen to Creed? You're white. You've never tried math. 
for your wife. You don't act like a normal white person. You're not really white, though. You're not really white. <laughs> I'm whiter than you are. So, did all your ancestors own slaves? No, but of course he wishes that he could still own slaves. That's a part of his culture. Bryce, back me up on this one. The thing you have to understand about white culture no, is that white people are- No, I went to an historically are... white college, so okay, I know about white culture. Okay, but I backpacked in Europe. So can you say how ridiculous this was? I know, story of my life. If you've ever experienced microaggressions because of your race, gender, sexuality, or body type, go ahead and vent about it in the comments. Can you teach me how to like take a really popular rap song and like make it a ukulele song? It's so cool. I think it's so cool how you guys do that. So that was a video on microaggressions in reverse. <laughs> Connor, can we get a white perspective on this? <laughs> Hopefully you found that video funny. Um, also, it does a lot of highlights on um, what microaggressions can look like uh, from different perspectives. So a quick recap of the video is that uh, microaggressions, uh, one category of them can be seeing people as stereotypes, asking ethnicity and nationality questions, accent and language assumptions, uh, cultural appropriation of other cultures, personal appearance differences, and comparison to others in the category instead of individualizing that person. Um, so, and a lot of people start to ask, well, how do I start to ask questions about somebody's culture, um, their ethnicity, when I, I, it's clear that they are, they have a different culture ethnicity than um, I do. Um, so one respectful way is to ask if you can ask, hey, I'm really curious about X. Would you be open if I asked you a couple questions? That gives the person the opportunity to say no, or I'd rather not right now. Most likely they're going to say yes, but it gives them the option. Uh, and then I'm curious, tell me a little bit more about blank. So that gives you a, a short script so that you can ask people about uh, what makes them special um, without offending them or uh, that coming across as a microaggression. So I promise that we talk a little bit about emotional intelligence and how it influences microaggressions. Our next section is all about emotional intelligence and how it ties to implicit bias and microaggressions. but. Um, essentially, emotional intelligence is our ability to understand our own emotions and anticipate others' emotions uh, based on uh, our our thoughts on paying attention to what's happening with that person um, and uh, knowing uh, that we can put ourselves in their shoes and have some empathy um, and also understanding of where that person may be coming from. So using emotional intelligence, you can be more aware. You can question your own thoughts. You can believe that microaggressions and implicit bias is a real thing. And I know that some of you may be watching this and you say, you know what? This is all poppycock. I don't believe that microaggressions and implicit bias are real. And that is a real thought. So if you are thinking that now, that is a microaggression. And my challenge to you is to begin to think about why you believe that challenge your sources of information, get all of the information, and then potentially make a different choice. See color, believe people, be empathetic, be your best, and also change your behavior if you notice that uh, you are uh, micro-aggressing um, against other people. 
be open to other thoughts, and then also challenge others when you see and hear microaggressions. Don't just let it slide. Let's talk a little bit about emotional emotional intelligence and how it applies to diversity, equity, access, and inclusion. So in this section, we'll talk about what is emotional intelligence. You'll have an opportunity to find your emotional intelligence score, um, how you lead with emotional intelligence, and also what's consent emotional intelligence for leading diverse groups. And uh, you'll see, and I'll probably say uh, EQ as a abbreviation for emotional intelligence, and we can use those interchangeably. So what is emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence is influencing success by the use and control of emotion. Influencing your success by the use and control of emotion. Why does emotional intelligence matter? So only 20% of success is intelligence. And that's from Daniel Goleman, the author of Emotional Intelligence, which is one of the leading um, publications on emotional intelligence. So only 20% of our successes or our success is intelligence. The rest, the 80%, is how we deal with our and how we understand other people's emotions. Because there's two things that control us. Number one, our intellect. Number two, our emotions. So let's look at a quick video that'll explain more about what emotional intelligence is. Emotional intelligence is the quality that enables us to confront with patience insight and imagination the many problems that we face in our effective relationship with ourselves and with other people. The term emotional intelligence may sound odd. We're used to referring to intelligence just as a general quality, without unpicking a particular variety a person might possess. And therefore, we don't tend to highlight the value of a distinctive sort of intelligence which currently does not enjoy the prestige it should. Every sort of intelligence signals an ability to navigate well around a particular set of challenges – mathematical, linguistic, technical, commercial. When we say that someone is clever, but add that they've made a mess of their personal lives, or that they've acquired a fortune but are restless and sad, or that they are powerful but intolerant and unimaginative. We're pointing to a deficit in what deserves to be called emotional intelligence. In social life, we can feel the presence of emotional intelligence in a sensitivity to the moods of others and in a readiness to grasp the surprising things that may be going on for other people beneath the surface. Emotional intelligence recognizes a role for interpretation and knows that, for example, a fiery outburst might be a disguised plea for help, or that a long political rant may be provoked by hunger, or that concealed within a forceful jolliness may be a sorrow that has been sentimentally disavowed. In relation to ourselves, emotional intelligence shows up in a skepticism around our emotions, especially those of love, desire, anger, envy, anxiety, and professional ambition. The emotionally intelligent refuse to just trust their first impulses or the inherent wisdom of their feelings. They know that hatred may mask love, that anger may be a cover for sadness, and that we are prone to huge and costly inaccuracies 
around whom we desire and what we really want. Emotional intelligence is also what distinguishes those who are crushed by failure from those who know how to greet the troubles of existence with a melancholy and, at points, darkly humorous resilience. The emotionally intelligent appreciate the role of well-handled pessimism within the overall economy of a good life. Emotional intelligence isn't an inborn talent. It's always the result of education, specifically education in how to interpret ourselves, in where our emotions arise from, in how our childhoods influence us, and in how we might best navigate our fears and our wishes. In the ideal society, it would be routine to be taught emotional intelligence from the youngest age, before we'd had the opportunity to make too many mistakes. It's because we have, until now, not taken emotional education seriously enough that our species has grown ever more technically adept while retaining the level of wisdom of our earliest days with catastrophic results. We are now evolved monkeys with nuclear weapons. It appears that the fate of civilization depends on our capacity to master the mechanisms of emotional education before it's too late. An emotional education means something far beyond just normal education as we've conceived of it to date. Though it should ideally include courses in every year of school or college, emotional education is more than something that should just take place in classrooms at the hands of teachers and come to a halt around the age of 21. The central vehicle for the transfer of emotional intelligence is culture, from its highest to its most popular level. Culture is the field that can ritualize and consistently promote the absorption of emotional intelligence. The lessons might be embedded in a tragedy or a TV series, a pop song or a novel, a work of architecture or a YouTube film. We can envisage the entire apparatus of culture as a subtle mechanism designed to point us towards greater emotional intelligence. We will never progress as a species and will indeed grow into ever greater technologically armed menaces to ourselves until we've accepted the challenges and opportunities of properly educating ourselves in emotional intelligence. Our technical intelligence is great, of course. It's led us to tame nature and conquer this planet. But a wiser, saner future for the human race must depend on a capacity to master and then seductively teach one another the rudiments of emotional intelligence while there is still time. Thank you for watching, liking and subscribing. If you want more... So a recap of our video on what is emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence enables us to confront problems with ourselves and others. It's success. That in success includes emotional intelligence and what it is is being sensitive to the moods of others and ourselves and having some understanding of that. Um, and it also helps us to see through emotional masks. And the key here is to, is to emotionally educate yourself because we didn't, most of us, I should say, did not get this kind of training in school. So <clears throat> taking time to educate ourselves about emotional intelligence and the emotions of others can make a giant leap for us professionally and also for us as leaders. There is a emotional intelligence assessment at mindtools.com slash pages slash article 
slash ei-quiz.htm. Um, that information is in your handout. And the benefit of this is being able to understand what your emotional intelligence score is. Do you build great relationships? Are you approachable? Um, but you probably need some self-care because you're giving so much to other people. Or are you having an average impact with emotional intelligence and have a need to work on difficult relationships? Or finally, um, do you need to work on stress and conflict management? And you have an opportunity to build relationships with even better emotional intelligence. So um, go to mindtools.com, take the emotional intelligence quiz, find out what your score is, and also find out uh, where you currently stand with emotional intelligence and how you can get better. So with emotional intelligence, there are five pillars, self-awareness, self-management, self-motivation, empathy, and social skill. Now, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how to lead others with emotional intelligence and specifically how to lead them uh, given implicit bias with emotional intelligence. So self-awareness as an emotional intelligence pillar, think about what diverse groups are feeling Asocratic questions when you get an opportunity to, and also give assertive feedback. In terms of self-management, um, think of how you manage emotions and how other people may manage emotions and how they may manage emotions differently. So um, <clears throat> back in the slide where we talked about different microaggressions, and one of them was essentially uh, said something to the effect of, why are people that are like blank, always so angry? Why are black women always so angry? Well, in terms of the emotional intelligence pillar, um, is there a difference between how black women or how uh, older men, et cetera, manage their emotions, manage their anger, manage their sadness? Self-motivation. Uh, what are your team's emotional drivers? And what are diverse groups' emotional drivers? Um, again we need to individuate. So this self-motivation um, pillar really individuates, and especially when you ask individuals in your organizations how they're motivated, um, this can help motivate them in and of itself and also uh, help prevent uh, implicit bias from driving how we're motivating our people. Empathy. Um, does this decision have a disparate impact on others? Shop for new shoes. Don't just put yourself in other shoes. Shop for new shoes and create something new for other groups. That's the difference between um, equality and equity is giving people not the same thing that everybody else has, but giving them what they individually need to succeed. Finally, the last pillar of emotional intelligence is social skill. So what drives those individuals who may uh, be different from others um, that are that you're working with. How can you anticipate their emotions? How can you educate yourself on culture, work styles, uh, needs, etc.? So those are some ways that you can use emotional intelligence to eliminate implicit bias, eliminate microaggressions, and create a more inclusive environment. Finally, what is an equity value system and how can we use an equity value system to implement DEAI strategies in our organizations? Uh, 
During this section, we'll discuss what is equity, why equity is important, the equity value system, and some resources for allyship. So equity is giving everyone the tools that they uniquely need to succeed. Equity is giving everyone the tools they uniquely need to succeed. And we can see from this illustration that equality gives everyone the same thing. And even within the illustration and everybody having the same resource, everyone doesn't have the same experience of this example of a baseball game. The tall person could probably see the game without a box, uh, so they don't even need the box. The uh, mid-height person uh, struggles to see the game with one box, but they can see it. And then the shorter and shortest person has one box like everybody else, but they can't see the game at all. But uh, when we talk about equity, the person who's the tallest doesn't need a box, so they don't get a box because they are having the same experience as the mid-height person who has one box and the same experience now in equity. The shortest person who has two boxes can now enjoy the game just like the middle height person and the tallest person. So equity is defined as the state quality or ideal of being just, impartial, and fair. Equity involves trying to understand and give people what they need to enjoy full, healthy lives. Equity, equality, excuse me, in contrast, aims to ensure that everyone gets the same things in order to enjoy full, healthy lives. Let me read that and say that again. Equity involves trying to understand and give people what they individually need to enjoy full, healthy lives, where in contrast, equality aims to ensure that everyone gets the same things to enjoy full, healthy lives. So again, the difference here between equity and equality, the state or ideal of being just and partial and fair and giving people what they individually need versus equality, which gives everyone the same thing. I think that in uh, North America and in many countries internationally, um, equality has been the focus versus equity. And the next step for effective DEAI strategies is to get to equity. Um, now, there's also institutional inequity, and institutional inequity is inequity within institutions and systems of power, such as places of employment, government agencies, and social services. And this inequity can take the form of unfair policies and practices, discriminatory treatment, and inequitable opportunities and outcomes. Institutional racism, for example, is racial inequity within institutions uh, and systems of power. And uh, you can see that in um, recruiting practices and mentorship practices and work assignment practices, et cetera. Um, these can all be ways that institutions can create inequities for workers. Let's hear a little bit more about privilege, systemic racism, and implicit bias and how um, equity value systems can help eliminate privilege, systemic racism, and implicit bias. It's not fair when the people have to experience this, when I never have. I mean, look at me. I'm a lighter complexion. So what is white privilege? White privilege is advantage that I got from being born white 
in the culture that favors whites. Dr. Peggy McIntosh popularized the phrase white privilege more than three decades ago. She's an author, a scholar, and says it doesn't matter if you were born rich or not. White people in this country have an advantage. In a 1989 essay, she listed 46 ways being white has helped her. Some of my examples were if the cops pull me over, I can be sure it's not because of my skin color. Uh, I can go shopping alone pretty well assured that I won't be harassed or followed. If I need medical help or legal help, my race won't work against me. White privilege is mostly a matter of lack of awareness of the big system within which lighter people worldwide have been advantaged. And when talking about that system, she's talking about systemic racism. So what is systemic racism? Temple University's Dr. Malefi Asante, a leading figure in African-American studies, says it's... The enactment of policies uh, to uh, punish a group or to oppress a group or to suppress a group, whether it's redlining various districts, uh, keeping people from getting loans or getting houses, or whether it is suppression of voting. And scholars say systemic racism is one of the factors that can contribute to unconscious or implicit bias, another term we've been hearing a lot lately. So what is implicit bias? What it means is that uh, people who are uh, biased uh, often assume that what they are doing is natural, that it is that it is not based on uh, racism. A person may assume that the black person who is arrested by the police must have been doing something wrong. There must have been something, you know, and in fact, many times there is nothing except the color of the person. Both professors say the fact that the nation is starting to really talk about these terms and many others is a positive step forward. In Center City, Aaron Coleman, NBC 10 News. A quick recap of the video called Explained White Privilege, Systemic Racism, and Implicit Bias uh, from NBC 10 Philadelphia uh, talks about three primary topics, privilege, systemic oppression, and implicit bias. With privilege, that is an advantage based on attributes that are favored in society. So advantages with police interaction, shopping freedom, medical access, legal access. It's hard to think and know that there are advantages with each of these, including shopping and legal access, et cetera, um, <clears throat> based solely on um, different abilities, ethnicity, et cetera. Systemic oppression, uh, that's policies that punish, oppress, or suppress groups. Redlining or transit access, meaning that there is no transit access in certain parts of town that um, may be predominantly uh, one race or another or one income level or another. Um, and yes, uh, all of these examples also apply to income levels. Bank and loan access. Part of this bank and loan access isn't discrimination about somebody coming in and getting a loan and being refused. Uh, it can also be tied to whether or not that person has uh, easy access and equitable access to the information that they need in order to get a loan. 
what is credit? What are debt ratios? How do I improve my credit? What is a down payment? How much down payment do I need? Et cetera, et cetera. Voter suppression is another example of systemic oppression. Then finally, implicit bias. And uh, we've talked about that a lot, but another definition is that it's an assumption that my way of thinking or doing is the same for everyone. Implicit bias is thinking that the way that you think and do is the same for everyone. So here's how privilege, systemic racism, and implicit bias show up in the workplace and cause inequities. So you can see the list here, hiring, promotion, mentorship, relationship building, assignment, corporate culture and corporate outreach, client development and innovation. Um, there's some other examples, mentorship, for example. Um, what if you have someone in your organization who is transgender and they're assigned a cisgender male uh, as their mentor? Well, uh, what special nuanced uh, needs does that transgender employee have that other cisgender employees do not have? Will those needs be able, will those needs be translated during that mentorship experience? Relationship building. Um, just think about first-generation Latino immigrants going trap shooting, which is predominantly a white male sport. Will that person be welcome uh, in the sport? Will that person know how to function with the sport? Do they know how to shoot? Uh, do they have the right gear, et cetera? Um, so are these relationship building activities and where you're going and when you're going, uh, are they do they create equity for everyone and um, giving everyone an opportunity to build the same level of relationship client development? Um, is there minority access to professional services? So if you're an attorney or CPA or other professional um, that's watching this training, um, are there ways that uh, you have reached into other communities to make sure that they have access to the same professional services that the majority does? So an equity value system is a set of decision-making guideposts that leads to success in institutional equity programming. So this is how to think about equity when you're making decisions as an organization. So here's how to create it. Ask yourself and your organization three questions as you're making plans and as you're making every plan. What is the organization value about equity? What is the organization's highest and best application of equity? What does it look like? And what is the organization's baseline for equitable practices? What are What is our minimum standard to make sure that we don't go beneath uh, making, uh, we don't go beneath creating this level of equity within the organization? Yes, there are aspirational equity practices, but also we must define what's the floor. So here's some ally resources. One, um, there are 31 ally resources at self.com, uh, particularly uh, race-related ally resources. There are some general ally resources um, that involve uh, more categories than just race, carryyourweight.org. And then finally, there's a 21-day racial equity challenge uh, by Eddie Moore Jr. And that also helps understanding racial equity. But the, the point here, is that we need to self-educate to make sure that we are eliminating implicit bias and eliminating microaggressions. So whether it's these resources or you Google and find more, 
The point is to find more and engage and read and learn. And that's the best way to eliminate bias. Let's do a quick review of our content. Uh, we talked about implicit bias, and that's attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions, and decisions in an unconscious manner. Microaggressions are the everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether they're intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages to target persons based solely upon their marginalized group membership. Emotional intelligence is influencing success by the use and control of emotion, and we can then use emotional intelligence to have empathy or create new shoes to stand in those shoes of somebody else and really understand how to create equity within our organizations. And finally, an equity value system is a set of decision-making guideposts that lead to success in institutional equity programming. So as we think about our outcomes for today's program, um, those outcomes were fairly simple. And that was to know how to uncover and recognize bias that impacts leadership style, team, and culture. Um, that was to leverage emotional skills to manage diverse workplaces, and then finally to create a strategy to improve organizational equity and become an expert level ally. So this was our course today called Bye Bye Bias, the ethics of creating a bias-free workplace. Thank you for joining. Business owners ask, how do I sell without everyone knowing? What's my business worth? Who's worthy of taking over my baby? At Indiana Business Advisors, selling your business is our business. We make it simple to confidentially market and sell your business to the right buyer at the right price. Get a free valuation today by emailing jamar at indianabusinessadvisors.com. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of What's It Worth? Remember to subscribe or add us to the library of your favorite podcast app. We'd also love to hear from you, questions, comments, uh, also questions about your business uh, as you're thinking about selling it or buying a business. Go to anchor.fm slash what's it worth and leave us a message there and maybe you'll be featured on our next show. Again, that's anchor.fm slash what's it worth. See you next time.